You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. It's been a while. I have been off getting Vistaworks, my startup number five, off the ground, and I know you already know how all-consuming that job is. But now we're nine months in, the first version of the technology is live, I have an amazing team, and your questions keep coming in, as do mine. So I felt it was the right time to record another 10 episodes, starting with this one. So my guest this week is Joy Lewis, CEO of Adopt an Intern, graduate talent specialists who support businesses to grow and enable graduates from all walks of life to find professional purpose. Adopt an Intern has just placed their 1500th candidate into paid work and is the go-to choice for startups making their first hires. Supporting startups and socially driven organisations to find the right candidate is in their DNA. Seriously, I use them. I'm about to give them five more briefs when we finish recording. (laughs) Sorry about that, Joy. Um, But it's a good thing. Um, I can't recommend them and the talent they have helped us find highly enough. Joy founded Adopt an Intern in 2009 when it ran as a programme within the Centre for Scottish Public Policy until 2012 when she took the very brave decision to spin it out to become a non-profit. Uh, as a social enterprise, 100% of any surplus goes towards supporting graduate job seekers from all socio-economic backgrounds. So welcome to the podcast, Joy. It's amazing to be here. Thank <laughs> you for the invite. Building successful teams, uh, attracting, rewarding, retaining talent is the most most requested topic for this podcast, even more so than funding, um, which I'm glad about actually. And today I'd particularly like to explore hiring interns and your first junior staff. But perhaps before we start, you could tell us a little bit about what you're trying to achieve with Adopt an Intern and actually more the process about the process that you've gone through yourself as you've created this company. So it's all been one big learning curve. Um, We were talking earlier about accidental entrepreneurs and I'm definitely one of those. So I'm ex-foreign office, I was in a think tank um, and then suddenly something happened and we were taking on unpaid interns and my blood started to boil and I didn't really know why. I just felt it was wrong. Um, So that was the beginning of my journey, really, coming to realisation that I had these amazing feelings of justice and uh, they became clearly, uh, they were part of my values. So the, the process of growing that and expanding it was and always has been organic. Right from the beginning when um, I reached out to the members of the think tank to say, look, we've got this idea, Uh, what do you think about it? And can you help? Do you want to take some of these graduates on? And the support that they gave us and the, the, the initial, yes, and we want to pay for them because we can't find them anywhere else. We don't know where to look. It was all very new mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Um, so that, and then I went to the universities, of course, and started to ask them what was going on. And I was welcomed with open arms. So I knew that there was a market. And I guess now that I know about being an entrepreneur and being a, a business builder, that's what you do. But again, I didn't know I was just doing it very organically in order to make this happen. And it's wonderful in hindsight to have that knowledge. Um, so we started out very small and I too had to take on my first hire. So I know the uh, fear and the trepidation that goes behind all that. But I do know that you 
just have to take that leap of faith and get as much support as you can to, to, um, to take it. We developed the business very slowly and um, according to what businesses wanted and according to what graduates wanted. Um, we opened the doors uh, to anybody that needed support. I purposely kept away those policy makers. <laughs> I didn't have any policies for many years and, uh, and I didn't encourage rules and regulations. So even to this day, we have no age limit. We mm-hmm. listen to any graduate with a problem, which is why we've now started, well, for the last several years, we've been working more thoroughly with returners, women returning to work because of the talent that they have. And they've often not used their degree. And I think the way it's expanded is it has become clear that what Adopt an Intern has attracted because of our open doors policy, because of our social enterprise status, this feeling of nurturing both businesses and graduates is we've attracted diversity. And that is becoming one of our biggest selling points because as we will talk about later, diversity is now very important. I can say having worked with lots of recruitment and I don't actually think of Adopt an Intern as a recruitment, which I truly mean as a compliment. It doesn't feel like that. But certainly it's the most diverse set of highly qualified, shortlisted candidates I've seen. To the point that I think I got in touch with you, didn't I? I said, how do you do this? Because this is really unusual. That is the most rewarding thing you can say to me. I have to say thank you. Um, Yeah, and we can't tell you how we've done it. Mm -hmm. It is simply because we have kept the doors open. Now, we spend a lot of time with each advert that we're given, um, making sure that advert looks good, but also putting it out as wide as possible. And I don't think there would be normal recruitment agencies who would spend as much time as we do advertising it widely. It takes us over four hours to get one advert around all the universities that we want to reach out to, because we're, we're looking for their alumni. Mm-hmm. So we, they have to be done by hand. Yeah. And, and when I was putting out a, a brief... I was looking for a data analyst and I had a chat with the person that was managing it at your side and you know we, we, we very quickly kind of said I, I was quite happy I don't, I'm not looking for somebody with a data science background I'm looking not looking for somebody that's done hard science I'm equally happy with an economist or a literature student or somebody that's done philosophy or psychology because I'm looking for these aptitudes and curiosity and I think you, know, you never get the opportunity to actually think broadly like that. So has the process that you've gone through been something you've evolved actually as you've built your own business? Has Have some of the lessons that you've learned about finding the right talent been learned on the job as it were as you've built the business yourself? Um, I don't think it's what I've learned has affected the way I've changed the business but what it has done is helped me to advise businesses. Mm-hmm. I, I can say to them now how best to try and keep those graduates on, what to do to keep them on. I can almost predict what's going to happen depending on the personality of the employer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it's one reason that we try and stay in touch with both the employer and the graduate throughout. Very light touch, but just to let them both know we're there if something goes wrong so we can step in. So you mentioned at the beginning you, you felt this frustration, you felt this injustice about uh, unpaid internships. And now I sometimes see founders operating under the delusion that interns, even their junior staff, are a handy source of free labour, um, especially in a startup where it's really easy to kid yourself, well, I'm not being paid, therefore, you know, we're all in this for the love. But actually, you as a founder are in this for very, very different reasons. 
And apart from the obvious fact that you can't spend share options or gratitude at the supermarket, why does paying interns matter and what does fair look like? That's a good question. What does fair look like? Well, let's see if we can come to that. So as I said, I recognise that there is a certain amount of trepidation that goes into, in, into hiring graduates. And one of them is, you know, should I, should I pay? Do I need to pay? Um, why should I pay if they're throwing themselves at me and offering to work for free? But as much as graduates want to, be, to make a difference, and they do, they're so enthusiastic, but they also want to feel valued like all employees and and if you don't pay them they're not going to feel valued and you're not going to get the best out of them. I think the other thing to remember is that they are your ambassadors and once they leave what are they going to say about you if you didn't pay them even if they had said at the time it's fine mum and dad are looking after me you don't have to pay me what are they actually really going to say about you when they leave? I think that's the other thing to think about they are not going to be great ambassadors. And, and I, I personally would say to start your business, it's a great time. The first person you bring in, or even the second or third, it's a great time to start your business as you mean to go on. And for us, I know, and for many people, it, it means an open, fair, transparent recruitment process. Why not get it right straight away? And by not paying, you're only going to access graduates who can rely on the bank of mum and dad, as we've said, or have connections in business. So 35% of our applicants, and this is the figure I'm most proud of, 35% of our applicants are the first in their family to go to university. Oh, that's fantastic. And as somebody who's the first in my family to go to university, yay! <laughs> absolutely. But I can guarantee you that none of them, and you can tell me if this works for you too, had an auntie and uncle in high places that they could rely on for a leg up on No, I mean, the only way I found myself being an entrepreneur was, and I didn't know the word for it until years afterwards, that I was so broke, I was at university in London, I had a job in the refectory which fed me and paid me, Um, I had a job in a call centre and I earned money typing up other students' essays, but that was all driven by economic necessity, there was no space in there, sadly, to go do a great, interesting in yes. unpaid internship. That's right. Um, and I did find myself, I mean, originally was very keen to go into television, but, you know, that was not a route that was open to me because it was only people that had family already working there and could get these unpaid jobs on programmes that right. that was open to. Huge shame. I think we should add, though, that you can't stop nepotism. It's going to happen because we all love our children. Uh, um, but that's why I think AAI was put on in the world, because we can support all the others yes. that don't have... Extend out some of those opportunities yeah. to the people that wouldn't get them otherwise. The quality of opportunity. Oh, I love that phrase. Isn't yeah. it wonderful? Yeah. The quality of opportunity. One of, my, one of my team members, let's give a shout out for Nick, uh-huh. came up with that little phrase for us. But it's, isn't it's that quite, quite the heart of entrepreneurism as well? It is. I think that's such a entrepreneurial attitude. And it's one of the reasons why I get so frustrated with the argument that founders shouldn't pay themselves. Well, that's fine. Again, that's fine. Like if you've just come out of a six figure job or you've got savings or you've got rich family or somebody supporting you, but the majority of founders and entrepreneurs can't run for a year or two or three not paying themselves. It's the thing that always makes me so mad when I... It, it isn't reality, is it? Yeah. It doesn't um, speak to mm. the whole world. And we need to speak to everybody in a wide 
what yeah. basis, what access. But then one of the important things about paying your interns and paying your junior staff from day one, really, as soon as you can afford to be thinking about other people, you also need to be thinking about how you pay them, is actually it's serious validation to your business. It's taking yourself seriously. It's taking your business seriously. Because if you're relying on a bit of help here and a bit of help there, if you're not paying that help, if you're not valuing that, they'll be weak when they don't show up because they've got to go earn something else. They'll be on holiday. They're not, they're not taking you seriously because you're not taking them seriously. And you can't actually grow your business that way. And you certainly can't go and expect customers, investors, your your wider ecosystem to take you seriously if you're not That's right. professionalizing your own business. Yes, it's a, it's almost a psychological thing, isn't it? But we have to confess that there is always going to be that budget issue, and it does worry yeah. people. I can't do this because now. For me, I think it's one of the most important things. One of the first things a founder should do, get in there as soon as you have a budget. It's not mm-hmm. a lot of money. Yep. Just work it out. You know, yep. if you can only do the minimum wage, it's not... It's not. Well, minimum living wage um, works out about £20,000. In a way, that's a lot. And in a way, that is really not a lot at all. And you might kind of think as a founder, well, I'm never going to get the right talent for that price. I need to pay three times more. But actually, you're, you're wrong. You will get willing, keen, enthusiastic talent that just wants to be part of this. Well, let's bite that elephant off Mm. bit by bit, shall we? Because 20,000 sounds like a lot of money. Mm. But if if you're taking on a, a, a young person, think about doing an internship. This is why I advocate these short term placements. Because you're only then talking about two between two and three thousand pounds. Now you put somebody in, you give them a job, train them up a little bit use the skills that they've got, what's going to happen is they're going to start bringing money in. They're going to help Mm. you. They're going to pay for themselves. Within three months, they can pay for themselves. And we've got statistics that prove this. You know, marketing graduates coming in and doubling the income just by getting social media on them. So don't feel you've got to find 20K. You haven't. You've got to find... Yeah, you've got to find the capacity to to fund that first one and then be thinking about and planning it through. It's interesting when you've hired people at different prices and different level experience or you've made what I often retrospectively think of as a mistake is we're going to hire a bunch of consultants to do that tech piece. You're talking significant day rates. Don't really see or have that input into and often building that internally and creating that internally has so much more value and actually works out financially so much sensible. The thing is also it's easier when you start young here and it doesn't have to be young it could be a returner. You yeah know, I've yes I mean it's old. young in terms of experience as yes. opposed to age and I think that's a really important point. But what you're going to get is somebody who wants to work with you who's going to help and bring you on. So if you think about a consultant they are coming in and they're not necessarily aware of your business. They're coming in as a consultant mm. because they've got certain skills. What happens often is they come in and they try to change the way a founder is thinking. And this can have adverse effects. And I've known many people bringing in lots of consultants and ending up getting rid of them all and going back down to graduates. 
yeah. they can actually mould because Gladiator's more flexible and they'll listen to what the CEO is actually trying to achieve. So again, it's easier to recruit for values with a younger generation oh, yeah. or a fresh, enthusiastic generation than to bring in older people with the skills and the experience but not necessarily sharing your values and your vision, which is more important. But sometimes we can make a mistake as founders in that we think, I don't know something about this area. Therefore, I need to hire adult supervision. I need to bring in a really expensive person who's got tons more decades of experience in this area than I have and has worked for companies that I have heard the brand of. I find that very rarely work. Whereas actually... If you have trust in your people, you, you, you've, you're thinking widely about a mentoring scheme, you're thinking about your professional development and personal development and theirs, you can bring junior people into an area where you don't have absolute supervisory competence and it still works. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you also you don't, you're not going to bring in somebody who's got your same skills as you. You're going to bring in somebody with new skills that you haven't necessarily got and that's going to increase your capacity as well. While you're learning all these other things you know you need to learn. So you touched earlier on uh, diversity, and I, I passed you the compliment, which I will restate because it, it's true and I really was impressed. I had a 100 applications, long list applications, come in for one of my analyst roles. I have never seen a more diverse group on every level uh, age, ethnic background, gender, subjects studied, outlook on life, socioeconomic, abilities and disabilities. I've never, ever seen anything like it. Um, and I think we can be told that we need to think diversely and really not understand A, what that means, B, why it matters, and C, how to do it anyway. Because I've been told the candidates aren't out there. I'm, I've sent you five Lithuanian guys and a token woman and that is as diverse as you're going to get. Clearly that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So so why does diversity matter? I think there's lots of aspects here. I've thought long and hard about it because I know it matters. And I think there's two levels. And this is just me speaking and many mm. people may disagree, but there's a humane level. There's a humanity level. So diversity drives culture, economic and social vitality and innovation, which is what we all want. And there's decades of research to suggest that intolerance hurts our well-being, but having diverse connections contributes to success and happiness. And we all want success and we all want happiness. And also the economic diversity, that matters too, because there are, again, there are studies that suggest that contact across social classes seems to influence our well-being. And, and and it's bad for everyone if there isn't that mix of social classes. So on that purely humane level, mm-hmm. wow, it's vital. But on a business level, again, there's been loads of studies. I'm sure people have heard about these, but they do confirm that diverse organisations outperform non-diverse counterparts. 80%, there's 80% improvement in businesses when levels of diversity and inclusion are high. That's big. And it makes complete sense because why when I I can only afford, maybe I can only afford two or three people or even one, why would I hire my clone? What does having a less experienced clone of me bring? It doesn't add any additional perspective. It doesn't add any fresh view of the world. It doesn't add any 
learned experience or lived experience That's to right. our team. And I really do think, especially at the beginning, every time you add a big dollop of fresh lived experience to your team, your productivity, your ability to innovate, your mindset just exponentially increases. It's a lot more fun as well. Oh, it is, yeah. It's a lot more fun. Who wants to talk to yourself all day? Yeah. You're just going to agree with each other. We're not going to get anywhere. But if you've got people challenging you, coming from different backgrounds with different ideas, different skill sets, different emotions, we all need to have somebody who's the analyst as well as somebody who is the blue sky thinker. We need those in our teams. And this is making that exponential. You know, you, you start to learn over time what you're good at what your what, it's difficult I think it's especially difficult early on when you're trying to find co-founders I'm going to do an episode in a few weeks about co-founders how you find them how you work together and how you make this weird marriage work but often the very first time you do a business you co-found a company with people you know people you're at university with people that you've just left the company with and you're very similar technically very similar or work experience very similar and life very similar and actually that doesn't tend to be the most effective co-founding team and I think if you do find yourself in that position actually hiring in some challenge but being ability to listen to it and learn from it so I've heard some employers say to me I I didn't hire that person because they were they would get bored quickly now that means for me that that person was actually quite clever, probably too clever to do the job, but actually wanted the job. But I worry that often the employer is almost scared of having somebody who is going to challenge them, who is going to have, has got skills that they haven't got. And I would just say, do not be scared of that. Yeah. Embrace that. I like to think and say very frequently, my team make me look good because they are bringing amazing skills that I confess I don't have and need. And I want them to do that. (laughs) They do make me look good. So hire people who are going to make you look good, but do not be scared of their talent. Not only don't be scared of it, but create the internal ability for that two-way process. Mm. Because you forget when you're the boss, you forget that that comes with assumptions about, you know, you're a bit scary, you control... that person's fate you you can make the decision about whether they have a job next week or not you control their economic and life chances they're in your hands and you you don't realize it so naturally people can be a little bit reticent to point out a problem or they can be a little bit nervous about telling you an idea and if the first time they tell you an idea you turn around and go yeah we tried that that's stupid that is not going to happen again. Okay. And I do think that we have to actually be quite careful about how then when you when you hire bright young talent, what you do next with it. You mentioned um, earlier on, you know, you, you have quite a sense which ones are going to work out and which ones don't. Is that because of different characteristics in the companies themselves or is it more to do with how they manage and, and, and onboard the people that they hire? It's, it's usually with employers that I, I've dealt with. Now, clearly I don't deal with all employers. But if I'm dealing with an employer who, you know, you can, you can tell when you're talking to someone who's going to be quite strict and maybe not 
flexible that then gives me a, a few mm-hmm. alarm bells and I might try and just drop in a few hints somewhere along the line or just monitor that a little bit carefully but I'm, I'm not saying it stands out a mile yeah. don't get me wrong and and you never know what actually is working within that organization I think I'd rather know the the line manager mm-hmm. uh, so my CEO might come to me but then hand it down to a line manager and then you really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's even more important to stay. But you like to think that you understand the culture of the business. And that's what keeps the momentum going. If you've got a culture, which you will create with your first yes, intern, absolutely. your first graduate, your first employee, you will create, start to create your culture around your own personality, around your own values and beliefs and visions. And that does help to maintain that a relationship with your employees. And I think it's worth spelling out that it's worth doing that deliberately, as in on paper. We sat down, our co-founding team of three, and we sat down and we mapped out on paper and made a PowerPoint presentation of our values and our behaviours before we put our brief across to you. So it was part of the process. It was like, right, first we actually need to make sure that when we get into this interviewing process, when we select somebody, we're able to turn around and say to them, while they're considering the job, here's who we are and here's what we believe and what we stand for. And so to do that, as almost bef- we did it before we wrote the briefs and, and mapped out what we needed and, and what order we needed people in and how we were going to hire. We sat down and we did our value document. We thought really hard about it. We sat in this very same room and spent a couple of hours wrangling over a specific word. And it was really interesting because then when we... We, we were going very fast, it will surprise everybody to know. We were going very, very fast and so therefore we needed to hire very, very quickly, which is why I was like, send me all of them. Don't, don't spend time shortlisting. And we did group interviews. Regret, it was right? No, I don't, I don't. Okay. It was fun. I'm nosy. Okay. Um, I wouldn't have done it as my first way of hiring. I mean, I've hired people before. <laughs> we even did group interviews, right? We, we, we did oh, two yeah. batches of group interviews. Again, it was brilliant. It worked out super well. I wouldn't do that for your first hire. Um, but then we were able to, we, we selected a candidate straight away. We sent out the values document and she came back to us and she had some decisions to make, um, but, but she said that that value document was the thing that made her feel this is a serious professional organisation. I align with that. I'm willing to take a risk on that company. Because the fact is, when you're a startup and you're hiring people, you're the risk, not them. That's very true, actually. But I would also say that um, graduates come in um, full of enthusiasm and full of wanting to to make a difference and they don't really think of values it's not right at the top of their they're thinking oh how much am I going to earn mm. what difference can I make um, so getting in there early and this is definitely a top tip to hire for values make sure that your values are on mm-hmm. your advert yeah uh, make sure that the language is good that you're using and I like the way you said earlier and we encourage employers to do this don't try don't specify too many background qualification stipulations mm-hmm. why would you do that you're then narrowing down your uh, likely pool you want to keep that really open because people have all sorts of skills they don't necessarily go to university to get them 
So you can say we would prefer a background in this, but it's not vital. Or any background degree or any background can apply as long as you have the skills to do the job. That's yep. what counts. Um, so I was pleased yeah. that, that you had uh, managed that. Um, but definitely put your values on there too, because that's a wonderful conversation to have during the interview. Yeah. And you can go online and find some very clever questions that you can ask to bring out their values, to make sure they do align yeah. with yours. And then if you match them with competency questions as well, you're going to get a very nice round picture and take and contribute to that objective decision that you want to make Does that make sense? absolutely I mean and, and to put that into sort of practical context the, the what we had on our briefs and we will have on this next batch are three things that they are our core values so one of those is curiosity and that that is actually quite a broad and complex thing it's intellectual interest but it's always learning um, and it's also a degree of I'm not going to wait to be told what to do mm-hmm. I'm I'm prepared to take a a little bit of a risk in following this. Mm-hmm. That's an important one for us. Collaboration is another one. I mean, we we are very all hands-on and somebody that likes working on their own without engaging back and somebody that would be terrified to come and tell me something that I really need to know wouldn't thrive in the same kind of way. I, I, I'm going to put all the work in that we as co-founders like are here to hear your ideas and take them in the spirit that they're meant, but I still need you to be willing to to take that step. And I think the third one, and I we we phrase this differently in the briefs, but in our values documents, it's commerciality, which is actually you know what we're here trying to make a business, which means that sometimes we have to work on the stuff that gets us paid as opposed to the stuff that gets us a PhD. Sometimes you get stuff out the door in a non-intellectually pleasing order. (laughs) And actually, we found when we did the speed interviewing, which again, is not for the faint of heart, we we were really probing for that um, collaboration versus the commerciality. We asked the analysts, for example, you know, we're dealing with really messy data how would you cope with incomplete data sets? Mm. And there was a great, this is a, this is a known thing with analyst roles is the seeking of perfect data. Like I can't start till the perfect, the data's perfect. If you can't start till the data's perfect, you will never start. And it was actually trying to test how comfortable people are with imperfection and compromise. Did it work? Yes. Yes. Yes, it did. So you clearly did a good job on that and you had some time to prepare all that. I think if we go back now to the on to the founders, to those people starting out on this and have never done it before, um, I would say, you know, what you've done is amazing, but don't feel you've got to follow what Vicky's done. So between us, we've done 15 companies and this is the first time we've tried it Excellent. like this, which is a really good point. What What should, you know, is there a way to approach interviewing and selecting and making that first choice when maybe you haven't hired anybody ever before, you haven't managed anybody ever before? Yes, there's, there's lots of tips. And when you're, when you're bringing somebody in for the first time... Let's let's just go back to that the interview. Um, keep it really simple. If you've never interviewed before, get some friends in, get some pals in who've done it before and can help you and advise you and have a list of questions that you desperately want to ask. But make sure if you want to hire for values, you may decide that's not the most important thing you want to do, but if you do, go online. 
lots of tips there but keep it simple don't plan on more than half an hour but allow those questions at the end because what you really want to do is make them relax and if you scare them by throwing them all these horrendous competency questions mm-hmm. you're not going to get the best out of them you certainly won't get to know them if someone has jitters all the way through the meeting so you might think actually well look i just want to do this very quietly then just go into a quiet room and have a nice little chat with them. don't make a big thing you're not you're not looking for a brain surgeon here you're looking for someone who will work with you and support you and take a lot of the pressure off you um, so keep it keep it very simple at this early stage um, if you're once you've hired them and you've made a decision yeah you're always going to take a risk but don't feel that that's a life risk this isn't a life risk especially if you do this as a small placement with the idea that you're going to try before you buy so you say to the the graduate or your your, your junior employee okay here's a four months trial and let's chat every month to see Mm -hmm. how you're doing and that de-risks it for both sides because again this isn't all about you no it's about them and they it needs to be the right choice for them i've hired Great people who should never be anywhere near a startup. You know, the uncertainty, the insecurity makes them unhappy. And they only know it when they try it. And that's a good point, you know, because you're bound to make mistakes. I've made mistakes too. Oh, my Asia. Apocalyptic. <laughs> we all learn from our mistakes, you know. And maybe you don't. Maybe you make it two or three times. It's not a problem. As long as you're not spending a fortune, you have to... Hire slowly and fire quickly. And that is such good advice. I did not follow that in my previous business, and I wish I had, because I heard somebody say it. I heard Gareth Williams at Skyscanner say it, and I nodded and I listened, and I kind of thought I had done that, but I truly hadn't. Mm. Um, And it is incredibly good advice. And if you do it right... If you do it right, everybody wins. Right, and I think, as I say, these short-term placements, when you're, when you're new to this, with younger people or, or returners, you have got this risk-free moment, this risk-free three or four months, where you're doing constant conversation, you know what they're thinking, they know what you're thinking, the pressure is off, you can make a joint decision at the end of this. Yeah. But what you need to do is keep that communication going not just about the job, but about everything, because you want to know when they're going off for interviews and you want to make sure that they understand that if they are going to get another job, that it starts after your project is finished. Yes. So by having that bond and that open transparency with them, they're going to stay in touch with you and keep you up to date. And that is precious and takes away the risk again. Um, Because if they do want to move on, at least you've got time to have a look for somebody else or come back to the the organisation that helped you and and start again if that's what 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 it takes. Um, I think by sharing your visions and your goals again, it's opening yourself up to them, and seeing that we talked about vulnerability earlier. Mm-hmm. It's so important um, that they understand where you want to go and why you get upset about certain things, <laughs> why you're passionate about certain things. Um, so yeah, you've got to be accessible. Now, you, people say to me, "Oh, but I'm a startup and I don't have a base." Now, that isn't so important. The millennials and mm-hmm. returners are desperate to work from home yeah. nowadays. Yeah, we don't have a base yet. Um, we're, we're in a shared co-working space, but we don't have a base. But one of my co-founders just yesterday called me up, actually, 
are not having systematically made myself accessible mm-hmm. enough to one of our high, oh, one our junior highs. I'm like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> He's like, no, that isn't enough. You know you're here, but they don't. Now yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna schedule an hour of your time with that person every week Excellent. so that they they have a direct route to you. Well, and I'm like, taken... absolutely right. And that's it. Bad on me for not. It not being my idea, but good on my co-founder for calling me out on it. Wonderful, and that's exactly what I suggest. When when you have a new person and you're not you're not um, fully on their wavelength at that mm. stage, you need to be speaking to them regularly. Um, once a week, a meeting is very good. Eyeball them, yeah. and, you know, because the body language is quite important. To yeah. Me. So a, a full-on meeting can be helpful. That can be done over Skype, I guess. Um, but then the phone calls. To, to it's no good saying to them, "I've tried this." Call me. Yeah. <laughs> Call me when you've got a problem because they don't. They feel they're letting you down if they don't have an answer. Plus, I mean, increasingly, phones ringing. What's that all about? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mind a text either. As, um, um, the other thing yep. that I suggest to companies now is Slack. I find yes. it very useful. But retention is key, isn't it? And, one, and that's one of the things I get asked a lot. How do we maintain them? How do we keep them going? Um, and I think the, the advice I've got, apart from all that communication... Um, is to keep introducing them to people, let them network. Networking is what they need to do to have a career. Yeah. And if you don't want to keep them at the end of it, don't feel bad about that. But you're not going to keep anybody forever anyway, unless you lock them in a tower and, and, you know, imprison them, which I'm not recommending. Very bad tip. Um, That was the anti-example. You know, at some point, you will have done your job, which you will have empowered, educated, inspired a person to have a wonderful career. Let them fly. Absolutely. And you, you can't imprison them and keep, in, keep them away from networks in case somebody else poaches them. Let them fly and rejoice that you have helped them to do that. Um, and you know what I say to businesses when they get upset that they let them fly and they go off? They could easily come back. Oh, my goodness. They will come back. And that's the thing I think you learn as a serial entrepreneur over multiple businesses. And I have a extended virtual team of knowledge of former employees and I would never have known that to be the case. So you've given us some wonderful um, tips there. Is there. Are there any other final tips that young companies or founders should, should, should think about? Um, well, let's go back to diversity here. Um, we, I want to get to the, the real importance of it right now because um, it's a very topical note. With the economic uncertainty as it is at the moment and the skill shortages looming large, Looking for homegrown talent that hasn't yet been snapped up is getting harder and harder, certainly in specific skill areas, as you know. But it's, it is there, and it's amongst these marginalised groups that we've been talking about. They are made up of very talented people, and I've had the pleasure of meeting an awful lot of them over the last few years. And what we're trying to do is break down the barriers that exist. Why aren't they getting the work? Why can't employers mm-hmm. find them? And um, I have some of those answers now which is very useful for what I'm trying to do. So we're trying to help employers who want to meet these people to show them where they're going wrong. And we do that by using some of the ladies and gentlemen who are having experiencing mm-hmm. these problems, putting them together. And the light bulb moments have been amazing. So if we can make, make a business become more attractive to these marginalised groups, the marginalised groups know they're there. They just don't want to work with them because they don't feel welcome. Um, and I know these amazing people are there. Even in STEM areas, there are a lot of them. So 
um, and they can't find work. So I want that to happen. That's really interesting. So there you are. Diversity is key right now. Let's break down those barriers because we do have the talent. It's not just good human caring sense, it's economic sense as well. A lot of people just think of it as gender, of course. And and, and yes, women are still classed as marginalised groups. I did a podcast with uh, Fiona Matovu yes, uh, at Radio Brighter well. talking yes. about the challenges when, for various reasons, you've been out of the workforce for a few years, trying to re-enter that when you've got big gaps on your CVs and the challenge over that. And I think that's really one of the areas we have to look to. Yeah. Because it, it, it's, it's just inefficient and, and foolish not to. Well, I was up in Aberdeen running one of these seminars putting businesses together with um, um, black minority ethnic women and with Fiona by the way I asked pa- jo- Fiona to partner with us um, and I walked into the room and the first two women that approached me were STEM graduates, one was a PhD they could not find mm-hmm. work of course they are, uh, black minority ethnic people are not the only marginalised groups, there's many others, including uh, disabled people and neurodiverse people, um, uh, and everyone else can list off um, lots of other groups. But one of the things that we found with Adopt an Intern, and we will always continue to do our placements and support people with permanent work when when needed, but in order to um, promote this diversity, we have now developed two or three projects that can support businesses. Now, one of them is around uh, meeting black and minority ethnic people who they are struggling to attract because they realize it's important to them, but they don't know how. So we are supporting with that. And also we are helping um, businesses to understand better the practices around um, taking on disabled people. Now, we are working with graduates because that's what we know, but it obviously relates to any age group or skills group. Um, and my main aim with this project is, it's called Disabling Barriers, and I have um, um, a disabled graduate, very, very talented young man working on this. The aim is to get some questions, 10 questions that an employer can ask at interview without feeling that they're going to upset somebody or annoy somebody, and 10 questions that a disabled person can ask at interview as well of their future boss mm-hmm. to get the messages over and both feel comfortable with that and we've developed this we as we get above average applications in from disabled graduates we're delighted mm-hmm. they get pushed through by us because they pass the test we don't know they're disabled mm-hmm. at the time but they have the skills they get through our phone interviews and um, the employer agrees interviews them and it's only then that we discover that they were perhaps disabled in some way because the employer comes back and says, didn't know what to do. And we say, well, what questions did you ask? (laughs) Um, uh, What did they need you to do? Oh, I didn't know what to ask. So that's what we're trying to address. That's that's the issue. And um, uh, it can be overcome. And I think one of my top tips here, um, um, we'd love to work with businesses on this clearly, uh, support them and train their staff in in all this new um, uh, information that we are gathering. um, uh, We've got a lot of uh, people interested in this, which is wonderful. The top tip is ask them, what can I do to help you do the job? What do you need in order for me to help you do the job? Simple as that. It's as simple as that. 
but it's very effective. And leave a pause. Let them think about this and answer this. You know, it might just be that they say, I need time. That could just be it. I need some time. I might be a week away occasionally, but I'll let you know. Um, that's often um, uh, what happens. But don't be afraid to ask that question and work around it from there. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. I mean, very, as I say, very timely in that I'm about to give you five more briefs, which doubles our company overnight when we make these hires. So Wonderful. a very significant Wonderful. moment in growth. And I needed that advice. So thank you. You've been slogging away at this for 10 years, but it feels right now like your momentum is really building. Everybody's talking about you and, and it, it seems like you've hit that scale point where, you, where you're growing. What, what next? What next for, for you? What next for the company? What's the world domination well, plan? Firstly, I have to say my team make me look good. They make the company look good. This is why you need a team, people. Um, they have done some wonderful work and we've just celebrated our 1500th intern, which is fantastic. And uh, it's also made us realise how many graduates we're still in touch with. And those graduates are actually coming back now as managers and asking for their own interns. And that (laughs) is so rewarding. Yeah. Very rewarding indeed. What next? We are very keen to carry on with supporting businesses with projects that support their CSR, that support their social impact. And what I want to do and have always tried to do is support charities, small charities and startups. We continue to support startups uh, through Scottish Edge and FutureX, and we can offer them hand-holding and advice and, um, and a very affordable rate to help them make it happen. The charities I would like to support through businesses, and that's what I'm trying to do now with one of these CSR projects. So I'd love to... Uh, we're talking to a lot of businesses. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to more. And then the, the other two uh, projects I mentioned earlier around um, black minority ethnic people... Breaking down those barriers, that's a whole separate project um, which I'm working with and I would like to talk to more businesses on that. And then this disability project, Disabling Barriers, it's my passion, it always has been. Um, um, ever since I first started hearing from employers about, what do I do, what do I do? Yeah. And we're losing talent here, we're hemorrhaging mm. talent and we need to do something about it. And there are lots of organisations out there all trying, I know, but I just feel we've got a bit of in-depth knowledge here with all these people that we're talking to and the businesses as well. So getting them all together, that's my aim. Thank you, Joy. I wish you and your team every success and I hope, if you don't mind, letting me and, and, and this company be a little bit of part of that because it's uh, an amazing uh, goal and ambition. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Joy Lewis, this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunts. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube. And as ever, you can submit your question on Twitter or at the podcast website.